<laughs> oh, stop it. Please. That's the best introduction I've ever had. I'm just glad Louise could hear it. <laughs> just remember that, all these nice things he said about me. Glad to have my wife. This is Toby. Toby helps me come down. Strange as it may seem, I can climb steps. But after I've stood a while, my legs get stiff, and so I like somebody to help me down. <laughs> just thought you'd like to know that. <laughs> I'm on Dr. Yusuf's board, uh, European board. Uh, I've gone off all boards except this one. I know of no man like him. I have no idea that there's a ministry near his in the whole world. My wife would, loves his preaching, and I do too, but when I'm away, she'll hear him and will make me sit and listen to him. Uh, but Michael... And Elizabeth been on our prayer list daily for years. Anyway, it's wonderful to be back. Is this working or is it this one? I can take that off. Well, I had a feeling that this is the one. <laughs> okay. And, and thank you for the lovely prayer. Even before you mentioned me, I thought that's a good prayer. <laughs> well, not that it got better when you mentioned me, but... I decided what to preach on three days ago. I won't give you the circumstances, but when I made the decision, I felt a little reluctant. And I'll tell you why. Much of the content, not all, but homiletically, this is going to be a new sermon. But in content, some of you will have heard this before. You say, R.T., do you think we need it? Yep. And I think you'll see why. And I, I did, filmed just three days ago. I want to read you from two passages. The first, Hebrews 13, verse 8, one verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And now, from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, and the, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said these things, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins, uh, that they are, then they are forgiven, and if you withhold forgiveness uh, from any, it will be held. Now, Thomas... One of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands and the work marks of the nails, and put my finger into the mark of his nails, 
and place my hand on his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it into my side and do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. A brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be clear, simple, and may this word be life-changing and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. When I came upon what I felt I should preach on this week, I was reminded of one of the most incredible, contradictory kind of days in my ministry. I'll explain what I mean by that. When we were still at Westminster, we would come over to America in the summer for our vacation and to South Florida. And I was invited to preach for the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church for D. James Kennedy. And I preached a sermon. Uh, it was a liturgical type. I was wearing a robe and uh, all went well. That afternoon, I had agreed to preach a Sunday evening in Bimini in the Bahamas. And so I take a plane to Bimini, and I preach for Bonefish Sam. He's the legendary guide. He's been on to tell the truth, a lot of other programs. Uh, but he was also pastor of a little church and wanted me to preach for him. And here the contrary. Uh, I, wearing tennis shoes and a T-shirt, having been with, in a robe that morning, preaching to thousands, the movers and shakers of America, and that evening to 19 black Bahamians. I was the only white person there. And we were all on our knees praying, and everybody praying simultaneously out loud. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to preach? And as clear as anything I've ever had in my life, Hebrews 13, 8 Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. And I began to think, what does that really mean? And it just leaped out at me like letters of gold. He looks the same. When I stood up to preach, I preached on that text. I want you to know that I had the greatest anointing I've ever had in my ministry. I made it so real to everybody that Jesus still had the 
nail prints in his hand. And throughout eternity, we will all have unblemished bodies, but he will have one scar. He will be the only one with a scar, hands, feet, forehead, to remind us throughout eternity how we got there. And I've been back to that church, but the people all remember that one. And I have asked a thousand times, Lord, why don't you give me this kind of anointing in Westminster, where I preach to the world? Why not Sunday morning to Jim Kennedy's church, where there were thousands? But no, for 19 black Bahamians who are nobodies, they change beds, clean toilets for a living. And I thought, I don't understand. If I could have this anointing in London, why? And it's just God's style. He wanted to bless people that the world would never hear of. I've never had anything like it. But I've retained some of the outline from that sermon. And I'm sharing it with you this time. He looks the same. If you could see Jesus, uh, he, would, he looks like he's 33 years old, just as he was when he's ascended to heaven. Uh, he hasn't been turned into some mythical, angelic, some kind of a, a, a iridescent, bright. You no, know, he would just look the same. But not only does he look the same, he leads the same. And here's a very interesting verse, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is a verse that could be put anywhere in the Bible. When you stop and think about it, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, and today, and forever. That could have been put in John Acts, Romans, anywhere. And then I began to ask, why here? What's the point? That this verse, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why here? And it's so obvious. The reason that the writer to the Hebrews put it here, he wants you to know that the doctrine does not change. For example, if you look at the verse just before verse Eight, we read these words. Remember your leaders. You see, he leads the same. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. And then you have Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in case you missed the point that he put that verse here, he says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. The point is that the Christian faith was never to change. You see, the earliest threat to the uh, early church was Gnosticism. And the Gnostics came in and they said, what you have is good. Oh, it's wonderful. We can make it better. And they crept into the church through the back door, according to Jude. And this is why Jude says, Jude verse 3, we must earnestly contend for the faith, once delivered, it's not supposed to change. It does not need to be improved. Colossians 2.7, same thing. We contend for the faith. 
If you want to know why this is important, consider the next monarch in Britain, Prince Charles. We like him in so many ways. But you know what he's been saying in recent years? When he's the monarch, when he's the king, he will contend for faith. He believes in upholding faith. You see, the governor of the Church of England is to uphold the faith. Charles says faith. That way anybody can believe anything. You can be a Muslim, Jehovah's Witness, Christian, Arab, whatever. And this is what is changing. And we're seeing it all over. Uh, the threat to the modern church, in my opinion, is a doctrine called open theism. Uh, forgive me if I mention my latest book. By the way, Dr. Yusuf does let me get rid of some of our books when we come here. And I've just written a book called Prophetic Integrity. Uh, you can figure it out what it's about. These prophets who said God told them who would be the next president, they all got it wrong. And do they apologize? Do they clam down and say we got it wrong? No. They're so proud. They're governed by a teaching called open theism. The idea that God is open to the future. He doesn't know the future. He looks to us for input. Well, that's what has happened. And so the reason for this verse is that the Christian faith would not change. But there's another thing we have, and that is Jesus listens the same. How do we know that? Well, as I read in John chapter 20, Thomas wasn't present. And when he's told, we have seen the Lord, Thomas said, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And he couldn't have known that Jesus was listening. Malachi 3.16 talks about the book of remembrance when the Lord heard the conversations. It's like the old spiritual put it, he sees all we do, he hears all we say. My Lord is a writing all the time. Just remember, your conversation is being heard in heaven. We don't think about it. I'll tell you, the scariest verse in the Bible for me, it's in Matthew 12, where Jesus said, every idle word you give an account of, it's a judgment. How does that make you feel? Scares the life out of me. I wouldn't want that. At least if it's, if it's told, I don't want you to hear it. That's what it says. And you see, the Lord is listening. When we talk to each other, and the Lord listened to Thomas. Because when he showed up, he went right to Thomas and said, come on, have a look. You see, the Lord listens. But then I come to the main thing. And if this is on my heart, forgive me if you've heard a little bit of this before. But I do feel led to say it. Jesus liberates the same. That means he sets you free in two ways. First of all, he forgives you. But he forgives you so that you will forgive others. Now, think about this. Here are the disciples. There's ten of them. Judas out of the picture. Thomas, for some reason, not there. Ten there. And they've heard that Jesus was alive. 
and uh, they're filled with guilt, and they're filled with fear, and they're in a door, uh, a room, the doors are locked, and suddenly Jesus shows up, and uh, they think to themselves, oh no, no, he's going to see us. We let him down. We all forsook him. Matthew 25, 56, they all, not just Peter denying him, they all forsook him. And they're feeling so guilty. They're feeling so horrible. They're feeling awful. It's like maybe somebody here, when you let God down and you feel horrible and you wonder, what would Jesus say now? And now he shows up and there they are. According to the level of nature, they would expect Jesus to look at them and say, well, thanks a lot. In my darkest hour, where were you? I spoon-fed you for three years. Where were you? On Good Friday, where were you? How could you do that? Do you know what Jesus says? Two things. First, peace. And the next thing is, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. It was as though nothing happened. Nothing has derailed God's plan. Peter would still preach the sermon on the day of Pentecost, the most unworthy of the lot. He's the one that stands up. They're feeling horrible. And Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. They've been forgiven. They can't believe it. They can't believe it. I think the reason Peter preached so well is that he had no self-righteousness in him. He knew he was so unworthy. I'll tell you a story. This is not in my notes, but I'm supposed to tell it. I hope I remember to tell it in the next service. One Sunday morning, minutes before I walked out to the door to walk a five-minute walk over to Westminster Chapel from our apartment, Louise and I got into an argument. Now, so that never happens to you, I'm sure, but... Uh, just as I was ready to walk out the door, I, I, I was so angry, and I slammed the door, pushed the button for the elevator, go down. First thing I know, I'm in the big pulpit platform, bowing my head, saying, God, have mercy on me. How can you use me now? Started the service with a doxology, singing the hymns, and I look, Louise, her place is, she's not there. Oh, no, she's not even going to come to church. And it kept like, finally she came in, but she wouldn't look at me. And I thought, please, Lord, have her look at me. And then during the offering, I wanted to give a note to the deacon. Would you pass this to Louise? But I thought, no, he'll read it. Because <laughs> I just wanted to say I'm sorry. But and I thought, now she's not looking at me, and I've got to preach. I thought to myself, honestly, I thought, this will be the biggest disaster of my 25 years in London. You know what? I preached with more power than I had in any time. 
I mean, I just had power. I think I know why. Any sense of worthiness in me was gone. I just knew I didn't deserve anything. He just blessed me. I think that's part of the ingredient. Peter knew he didn't deserve to preach like he did. All of them didn't deserve it, that Jesus would say that to them. I now come to the point that you've heard before, but forgive me, I think you need it. In the darkest hour Louise and I ever, ever had gone through was while we were in London. They were the best of times, the worst of times. As Charles Dickens put it in one of his books, the worst thing that ever happened to me, I was betrayed, and the future was so bleak, and I was so upset and so angry and bitter and nobody knew what really happened I couldn't tell anybody but in the providence of God an old friend from Romania Joseph Tone it's spelled T-O-N he's pronounced it T-S-O-N Joseph Tone I phoned him yesterday he now lives in, in uh, Oregon and I told him how all over the world I mimic him because he said to me that day when I told him the story, what they did, and if I'm honest, I told him so that he would put his arm around me and say, R.T., you ought to be angry. Oh, get it out of your system. That's what I wanted. He looked at me. I'll never forget it. As long as I live, I die a thousand deaths. This is what I told him on the phone. Just felt led to phone him. I die a thousand deaths at the thought that he had never come into my life. I, I wouldn't be here today. He looked at me. If I could narrow 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, it's when he said, RT, you must totally forgive them. Until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. No one had ever talked to me like that in my life, faithful of the wounds of a friend. But it changed me forever. And I think someone right now needs this word. Perhaps you've been betrayed. Maybe your best friend let you down. Maybe you, your husband or your wife was unfaithful. Maybe you were promised a job and you lost it. You've been lied about and everybody believes the lie and not a thing you can do about it. And you're bitter, you're angry. It's my word to you. Changed me forever because I took it on board. By the grace of God, I did it, or I wouldn't be here today. And it could be you're there. If we heard your story, we'd understand and we would sympathize. But I don't care how deep the hurt, I don't care how great the injustice, how unfair. God has given you a second chance totally 
to forgive them. Not in part, not just verbally saying, it's okay, I forgive you. Oh, no. Total forgiveness. Total forgiveness is when you don't tell anybody what they did to you. And strange as it may seem, an old friend came by our hotel yesterday. We had uh, uh, supper together. And a name came up, and my immediate temptation was to say something how that particular person betrayed me, because I wanted him to know. Uh, oh, 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 no. The proof you've totally forgiven, you don't tell anybody. Tell God. The first thing that comes to our mind when we're betrayed or hurt, we get on the phone, here's what they did. You see, you can't bear the thought that anybody would admire them anymore. Total forgiveness. You don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. You don't let them be nervous around you. You put them at ease. You know, uh, this little message could change any marriage that may be in trouble right now. You see, husband and wife will keep the other guessing. Don't just keep them nervous. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, love keeps no record of wrongs. Why do we keep records? To show that we've paid. Why do we keep a record of wrong? So we can throw it up. I will remember that. And we do. The bitterness is still there. Any marriage can be healed by sundown today. Tear up that record of wrongs. Don't wait for the other to get it right. You get it right before God. Don't let them feel guilty. Total forgiveness. These disciples were feeling horrible. They felt awful. And Jesus said, peace. As my Father sent me, so send I you. Schedule is the same. Everything's going on according to plan. You let them save face. Instead of rubbing their noses in it, you just let them save face. Dale Carnegie in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, has a section. Let the other person save face. Dale Carnegie says, you can win a friend for life when you let them save face. Joseph could say to his brothers, you didn't send me here. God did it. These brothers feeling so guilty. And now they're facing their brother who they find out is prime minister of Egypt. And they can't believe their luck. But Joseph is saying, you didn't do it. God did it. You let them save face. You protect them from their darkest secret. You realize it's something you keep doing. Here's the thing a lot of people forget when it comes to this total forgiveness issue. You don't do it just once. You do it again tomorrow, day after tomorrow. The people I had to forgive are still alive. And I have to pray for them every day. They don't know this. And whatever, don't ever go up to them and say, well, I forgive you for what you've done. I'm, I forgive you. They'll say, what have I done? Well, you know, 
Well, no, I don't. Oh, now you should. Well, I don't. Well, you should. Now you've got to fight what you wanted. You see, the reason you tell them, I forgive you, you're wanting to stick the knife in a little bit. If you really have forgiven them, you don't tell them. Only if they're asked for it, that's different. But you don't tell them. Tell God. And when you pray for them, you don't say, God, kill them. <laughs> you see, God came to Moses and said, you've got a sorry lot. I'm going to kill them, start all over with you. I think many of us would say, thank you, Jesus, come and kill them. <laughs> Moses said, no, you can't do that. What will they say about you? Your name is at stake. And that's what God wanted Moses to do. It's the epitome of graciousness. When you've got the goods on them, and they were in the wrong, it's not good what they did, but you set them free, and you don't even act like you know what they did. Peace. As my father sent me, he's the same. Yesterday and today and forever. Is it possible that God had you here and had me here to preach this? Some of you heard it before and you needed it again. Others of you have not heard it. And what I do is bring you to decision time. I would do you no favor just to say, God bless you. See you next year. I think it's decision time. And that I know, I know at least one person, I don't know who it is, but I know that God would not have led me to preach this if it were not at least one person. It could be more than one. Decision time. If you need this, and you want to say, God, I'm sorry, I forgive them. In 30 seconds from now, wait, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. You say, in front of all these people? Yep. Oh, they'll know I've had a problem. Yep. Does that matter? Thinking of God. Don't stand unless you're prepared to say, I won't tell what they did. Too late, RT. I've already done it. Just don't do it anymore. I won't let them be afraid of me. I will let them save face. I will ask God to bless them. Five, four, three, two, one. If you want to forgive them, I want you to stand right now where you are. I'll wait 10 seconds. Don't miss this moment. There's a verse in Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. He's come near. Okay, now this may be even harder for you, but to prove you mean it, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat and come down to the front right here. Come quickly. Come, come, come. If anybody else should have come, stand up and join them. If you had told me a week ago I would be preaching this and doing this, I wouldn't have believed you. But I'm sure I've been led, I'm sure of it, to say this. Now, what you've just done is the easy part. The hard part will be an hour from now, 
You think, what did I do? Tomorrow morning after a cup of coffee, I can't believe I did that. So here's the thing. You've got a few moments. You can still get out of it. We're going to go into a covenant. I'm not going to look and see who's praying. It's not between you and me anyway. This is between you and God. A covenant was so serious in the Bible, it was always ratified by shedding of blood. We're under the covenant, the new covenant, the blood of Jesus. I want you to pray this prayer out loud. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my bitterness, my unforgiveness. Wash away my sin by your blood. I forgive them. You forgive them. Bless them. I set them free. Come, Holy Spirit. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. 1 P.S. This is important. When you break the covenant, the devil will say, well, it's over. Now forget it. No. When you make a mistake, you point the finger, just say, Lord, I did it again. I'm sorry. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us. Keep it going. Don't break it. Just say, Lord, I messed up. And I promise you, the anointing upon you will be in ever-increasing measure. God bless you. I'm finished. See you next year.